Hello, friends. Patrick McFarlane here, and welcome to another episode of the Liberty Weekly podcast. Coming at you with number 193. The show notes may be found at libertyweekly.net forward slash 193. And today I'm really glad to be joined by Monica Perez and Brad Binkley from the Propaganda Report. Guys, how's it going? It's been a, a hot minute. <laughs> Great. How are you doing? Doing good. Doing good. I, th I think we spoke for the first time about a year ago, and we went over a lot of the COVID propaganda and just kind of unpacking that. But so we are also, we're all creators on Rockfin. Uh, you guys are a lot more active on there than I am. But you do deep dives as a part of that. And uh, in your most recent deep dive, you were talking about um, how the army is doing the, this technology, kind of like uh, mind amplification technology. And I thought that was really interesting. And you kind of dove into the metaverse, too. So I wanted to kind of talk about that. But since it's been a while since you've been on the show, uh, do you guys just want to talk about what you do? I'm sure a lot of people that listen to my show already know. But Well, I'll kick us off. We have a podcast, The Propaganda Report, and we do interviews like this, and we also post when we're guests on others. But our flagship show is the Drive Time News Blast, where we bring news of the day from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice every day. We kind of got our training on terrestrial radio. I had a show called the Monica Perez show out of Atlanta. And so we learned how to do it right, except for there was so much spin and agenda pushing that we really, we couldn't do what we, what there was a need for. So we did it ourselves and we have free 30 minutes of that on all of the, your favorite podcasting platforms. And we also do 50 minutes of a premium commercial free version available on Patreon and also Rockfin, including we do it live with video on Thursdays. So there's a lot of fun stuff, but then Binkley brings that extra deep dive. Um, Binkley. Yeah. On Rockfin, I try to find well for Rockfin. I try to find think tank discussions from like the council on foreign relations or some psychological warfare, military operations group, just anything that is the controllers or people who are pulling strings and creating policy that are unelected. And we kind of reveal their plans. And it's, it's really surprising that we'll pull a video from the CFR or something that'll have like five or six views, maybe. Right. And then we'll deconstruct it. And then two weeks later, Biden will be saying the same thing verbatim and implementing similar policies as they laid out in the previous weeks. And even like Twitter hashtags and stuff like are you you pull them from the headlines before they're even headlines. Yeah, they're open. They're, they're, they're an open book about what they do. It's just uh, a lot of times people don't see it. Yeah. And well, and to be fair, I so I was doing some research for our conversation here, just kind of looking at the DARPA website. I'll oops, I'll bring <laughs> I'll bring that up here. And and part of the problem is, is that it's just really boring to read. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you agree with that. Totally. Yeah. yeah. That, it's it's excruciating. <laughs> yeah. And it, and they put it in these terms that sound benign or even altruistic. And it really puts people off. Like they just, they look at the introductory sentence. Like if you look at the Rockefeller Foundation, it says our mission is to like serve mankind or something. And you're like, but you see, they're doing it for our own good. It's weird how psychologically it frames it right up front. And then you just cannot then all the sinister consequences are labeled unintended consequences and people accept that. I mean, it's just, it's been going on for 
at least a century. It was almost a Twilight Zone reference there to serve man. Right. Yes, yeah. exactly. That yeah. is was a re- was a Twilight Zone reference where to serve man. It sounded like it was a treat, you know, the suggestion of a treaty, but it was really a cookbook. I had um, I've been doing so I'm, I'm coming out with a docu series on like uh, the radiological weapons program. I don't know if you've heard about that at all, but um, I didn't plan on talking about this. But Lisa Martino Taylor came out with this book. Um, talking about a parallel program that happened during the Manhattan Project. And it's when all the Manhattan Project medical doctors were injecting people with plutonium without their knowledge. And uh, I think it's an underserved story. And I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just getting done with the transcript for the first episode. Um, but you see all these Rockefeller Foundation connections. Like Oppenheimer had a Rockefeller Fellowship. And like a lot of the cyclotrons were built with Rockefeller money in part. And so that's something I want to unpack a little bit. But you guys have done a lot of work, you know, on DARPA and all like the, you know, the seeding for the seed money for that. But it's so interesting. Well, some of that stuff, I think, even in when I was reading, watching your documentary, Why Can't Johnny Kill? Yeah. It occurred to me that it's. I always think of the DARPA stuff as a way to pay for and introduce culture changing technology under the guise of defense. So even self-driving cars and all that came out of an internet, everything came out of DARPA stuff. But obviously it seems to me the real application is to, to hit us with it. But of course we, in a way we are now the enemy anyway. So they would always use these psychological operations or whatever, weather, force multiplying and all that against other countries. But now I feel like, and this goes to what I was talking to you about earlier, about how they're changing the fundamental structure of society from the war model to this pandemic model. And if you just even visually think about that, it goes from being two equally, relatively equal sides to being just this pyramid of like the priests, the priests of the electron microscope against everybody, the populations of all the different countries. So I see a lot of that DARPA stuff as not only like the, that kind of psychological stuff to try to actually get Johnny to kill, but how to use that application in this new model of how society is structured. And DARPA to your point was part of funding this deep dive we did on Rockfin where the lady was talking about the brain interface technology toolkits and controlling drones with your thoughts and synthetic uh, telepathy. That was a lot of it was funded by DARPA. And she was talking about how, well, they were funding it for this one reason before, but we realized it has all these military applications. We had no idea in the beginning. And now we're, we're investing in applying it militarily. Yeah, and it seems like uh, to go back to the documentary that I put out was just a short thing, but it's something I've been trying to focus on is just that in World War II, uh, General SLA Marshall did this study, Men Against Fire, and it's it's been criticized because it's not incredibly scientific, but after uh, World War II, he went around and pulled all these soldiers and found that in uh, across the board in any given Uh, They would report that in any given interaction with the enemy, only 20% of men would take any part of it with their weapons at all. And so all of a sudden the U.S. military is panicking because they're finding out that, you know, 
only 20% of our soldiers will fire their weapons in combat. And of those 20%, only a smaller percentage will actually shoot to kill the enemy. And so it seems like since then, they've been doing all these things like reflexive fire training, uh, like operant and Pavlovian conditioning to get soldiers to pull the trigger in combat. And um, this, um, there's this guy, um, I forget his name, but uh, he, he wrote this book. Um, I just can't remember the name of the book. I did this whole thing on it. Sorry. But he... He, he um, just has been talking about all, all of those conditioning methods that they use. And that's the first thing that came to mind when I'm reading about these mind mapping programs. And it, it seemed what, yeah. what are the specifics of it that you've found? Like, are, what are they trying to achieve with it? Well, one of the examples that she gave, this is a former employee at DARPA, a former Obama administration Department of Defense employee. Her name is Anika Benedict. And she works with the Arizona State Politics Political Department. This is the woman that was talking about all that brain interface technology. But she talked about how in combat, they could do something like this uh, telepathy where they could all be communicating inside each other's heads when they're ambushing a building or something so they wouldn't have to shout out loud, I, I, I guess, would be the reasoning for that. But it's really a collective mind almost in the way that they talked about it because they talked about who would be responsible if somebody committed an act of a, an atrocity while they were all operating inside each other's heads with this, these brain interfaces. And so they talked about better cognitive processing because a lot of, there's a lot of data processing stuff going on because there's so much data they have now and they, they want, they want full data and they want instantaneous real time reacting based on data that's coming in all the time. And they want to be able to give cognitive enhancements that can help them process massive amounts of data. Just turn them into cyborgs, really. Well, in, in t go ahead, Monica. Sorry. Sorry. There were so many things that I found to be overlapping when I started thinking about the problem of the soldier unable to kill that overlaps with the tech and some of this experiments that clearly apply to society. But it's like the way Binkley says she said it was meant for the good of society. Then they found an application for, I think it, that's just a, a swinging door. But some of the ideas that I had were I'd heard before that like the greatest benefit of drones was that when you had somebody in the field, you couldn't get to, to kill the little kid hiding under his mother's, you know, um, cape. You, you, you could just pull a guy out of a drone chair and put another guy or find the one biggest psycho is like your guy to do the, the worst jobs and you can have them in all places at all times. Then I've been reading for decades. It comes out of Russia. I don't think they tell us our stuff, but how the Russians are working on robot soldiers, like literally like not like guys in robot suits, but like soldiers with, you know, made of just robots. They're just robots, wiry little robots. Then you have this whole prosthetic thing. They always develop the prosthetics when they're blowing guys, arms and legs and eyeballs off and stuff. And it looks like they're there just to help the soldier, but it's not. It's clearly for future applications of that VR is like that too. And then on the, on the actually, how do you deal with the guys um, trying to actually make them into soldiers? You have, you know, Hitler had gave them speed to keep them going, but that'll also make you a little bit of a psycho. Then there's this genetic modification stuff. There was a guy who, a doctor who basically illegally made a baby with, or like 30 babies with three parents where they would put mitochondrial, 
DNA from like a second mother in. And I, I was like, where is this guy now? And he was last time I looked at Walter Reed Hospital. I was like, oh, he's there creating super soldiers. And you have to wonder when they're putting RNA stuff into everybody, if that was born from some of that research. And then just uh, I also think that video games train Johnny to kill. Yeah. And also this idea of the zombocalypse, the Walking Dead movies and stuff. It gets you to think that there are human beings who aren't human anymore. And that should be like blown to smithereens. I think that's the psychological element. But the fact that they have to try so hard to get the psychological element to work on Johnny and it's really not working that they that that is why how they know not only in the war context, but across the board that psychology, maybe even propaganda isn't enough. And they have to use this actual, you know, they have the cyborg thing, the tech human interface to really enslave mankind at that level. It, they are actually training people with virtual reality. Another example of some of the use of that technology is they gave an example of you're surrounded by the enemy out in the field and you have the ability to control drones with your thoughts. So you're surrounded by all these guys and all of a sudden, you know, you turn on the brainwaves and all the drones come flying in and they take out the enemy, I guess. And they are training in the virtual reality. They're building these virtual reality centers for a lot of the different branches of the military. And they can use that, use those VR settings to help familiarize them with what a battlefield might be and also perhaps to desensitize them, desensitize them because like Monica was saying, they have all these fear-based trainings in VR where you go in and you overcome your fear of heights by leaning down on a tall building in the VR world and overcome your fear of creepy clowns by getting attacked by a creepy clown. That was one example of helping children overcome a fear of clowns, which seemed a little counterproductive to me. But <laughs> if they get them in these real environments that seem real, and they did a study out of this, this Stanford virtual reality department that found that people that had these intense VR experiences, that six months later, they could not distinguish between what was a real experience and what happened in VR. Then they can have real life battlefield moments and perhaps desensitize them from that reluctance to, to kill and make it a little bit easier. If, if they've done it, seemingly, if they can't tell the difference between it being real and not, then it might make it a little bit easier. Yeah. And, and that's what I found with. The name is Dave Grossman. He's this guy. He he does the killology group where he'll go around to police departments and military and and tell them about uh, killing people and and how to yeah. deal with it and that it's like sex and you get like a rush. Oh, yeah, yes, I've seen, I've seen that, that I think guy. You, you shared that video. Yeah, that is so crazy. Yeah, and but he said the same thing about how video games are causing this epidemic of violence and 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 I have like a caveat to that is that I don't think that. A kid plays a video game. This is the Rittenhouse trial thing where the DA is questioning him and he's like, yeah, oh, well, yeah. it's it's a video game. It's not real. But I think there is a uh, the way that it helps that is that at the moment where you're about to pull the trigger, it helps um, ease that the impasse that you get muscle memory. Exactly. And, and that's what the reflexive fire training is all about. So there, I remember seeing a white paper on the World Economic Forum website. So maybe 10 years ago, long before the World Economic Forum was on the tip of everybody's lips. And it talked about how it and they, of course, just like we said in the beginning of our conversation here, they couched it in a, oh, this is something we need to work on for the good of humanity rather than this is a study. And it was do video games train boys to kill? 
And it was like, this is something, you know, that our, us bleeding hearts have to worry about. And I'm like, this is clearly a study. <laughs> you know, you're paying for a study. But if anybody found out about it and you put it in the context of how do you get little boys to kill, yeah. it wouldn't work at all. But it's like, oh, we need to know the problem so that we can figure out the solution. Yeah. And I, I've had a lot of like um, some of my friends that I've talked about these ideas to They they're just say, well, it's all just going to go the way of c- cyborgs anyways, in, in terms of like just getting machines like robots to do it. And what? It, yeah. Sorry. No, finish the sentence. And I absolutely have to. Ask no, what do you what do you think about that? Or- well, here's the thing. So r- watching your short documentary gave just a cascade of new ideas for me. And awesome. one of the things was in answer to what you're saying now, like they'll just have cyborgs or whatever. I had to start thinking when you think about cyber war or war in cyberspace, like Binkley was talking about in the metaverse and stuff, I started to think like, why are wars fought and why were wars fought? And I was thinking like, I've always thought about this. Why, why are wars fought? Why were wars fought? And I always thought the first thing I thought was it's to push the boundaries of a territory so that you as king can collect the taxes from the people who live on that land or the grain from the people who live on that land or conscript the human beings who live on that land. So, or the labor, you know, for war or for labor. So it's just, you need to like physically control the land so that you can be the one who gets all that money or labor. But now it's different. Like the territory seems to me, the territory isn't that important, especially when you have like universal policy. So I was thinking like, the who is the king? The king is, say, like the banker. And if there's com- competition, it's for banking. It's not necessarily for territory, except for to the extent like the democratically elected president of Ukraine, like him or not. But back in the day, he shopped a deal from the EU to Russia and Russia beat the deal. And it was a bond deal. It was a deal about like financing probably gas or something. Or I don't know what it was, but no, it was like financing their terrible government. And we're willing to to fight a hot war. And they say all wars are bankers wars. But really, it's not it's it's territorial only to the extent that you have banking business on that on that uh, level. But there's also a whole nother layer, it seems to me, which is what you a lot of these wars are fought for like the propaganda. So Belarus is under the gun because they wouldn't. I think the way it worked was he wouldn't take IMF money. Even that he wouldn't take a lot of money um, to do COVID lockdown policy that was being dictated, say, the way the World Economic Forum put it, it was from them. They they were pushing that down on their like oligarchs within different countries or whatever. And that so you can't have competing narratives even from country to country. You can't have competing policies from country to country because then you have this demonstration of best practices. So one of the deep dives, Binkley brought was about like narratives, how critical narratives are, different narratives for different people. And I feel like, so if wars are there, then they don't really even need to be physical to the extent that they're just about narrative. So if you can get everybody into the metaverse, your war doesn't even need to have a soldier. It just has to have a psychologist like your killology guy, like Dave Grossman. He's your general. Yeah. Yeah. And the narrative warfare stuff, they have books they've written on this that they use for the intelligence industry and the military industry. And in the deep dive, we did the the main lady who was talking about it, Ajit 
Mon is her name. She was talking about how kind of the main principle of narrative warfare is that it's not about truth. It's about meaning. So you create the meaning of people's reality, regardless of what that truth is. So that's the truth is never the most important thing. It's the fight over controlling the meaning of what people experience. And that's why they try to get ahead of things and frame things in certain ways. And we see the this narrative warfare battle play out in kind of a, 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 a two-way street with the right and left. There's There's a lot more layers of it, like Monica was saying, that kind of target different groups and stuff like that. And with the the real estate, so the metaverse real estate is now becoming a hot commodity. So maybe the the reg- regular land, not as much, but the metaverse, we're seeing the first embassy being opened up. We're seeing all these corporations now going in and they're, they're trademarking their stuff. And a, a lot of these really rich corporations that are connected to the World Economic Forum all started diving in and investing in the metaverse right after Zuckerberg did that little announcement. I think that's where the new hot real estate is. And actually, that's interesting. So if you have embassies in there, you have businesses in there, you are talking about policy and monopoly. So maybe you and we've seen this, too, just historically with mercantilism, not the wars aren't always fought for the land, for the labor, for the taxes, for the grain. Sometimes they're fought for customers. And I think that slides right into this COVID thing, right into it, because I had an insight recently and I really think it applies. If you go back and look at the opium wars, that's where China fought against the UK merchants, which for sure were supported by the UK government. Some people say the Queen of England was the greatest drug dealer that ever lived and as descended from them. They literally fought a war with China to allow opium, which has no value whatsoever except for to destroy. I mean, it has value. I shouldn't say that. I mean, it's a drug that I'm sure has eased a lot of suffering, but clearly it was meant to open up a market for that, a market for an endless uh, something you didn't need, but like you would literally physically desire you would get addicted to it. And it that made the human being. It, the body itself, the endless bottomless pit of customerness. And that is China, you know, they, so China fought back, but lost. And I feel like that's the exact same thing with the vaccine. It's just creating like they'll, the, there's a, a literally research paper said, why do so many African leaders die of COVID or around COVID or whatever? And then as soon as Haiti was that, that coup in Haiti, I said, what's this guy's vaccination rate? It was zero. So mm-hmm. I feel like they are literally invading countries to create the markets for the vaccine. And that's why they have to have more variants and stuff. And and my guess is where there's certainly a chance that one vaccine builds uh, on another. And I and I do want to talk a little bit about that variant. I had one, just a couple of little insights. I don't know if you want to hear just this one thing right now is that they they say this new variant out of South Africa has something to do with the it, the mutations are in the spike protein and there was a very serious change that was made that allowed the spike protein to be a quote vaccine and it was that it didn't actually totally penetrate the cell membrane because the the job of the spike protein is to open up the cell and deposit virus into the cell and um, it wasn't going to work if it was like fusion fusion stage protein. So they had to uh, mess with the genome in the mRNA vaccines to make it a pre-fusion state protein. Now, I don't know what variations they're saying, but if you're dealing with a fusion state protein, 
that's when you get that vaccine enhanced respiratory disease where that protein goes in there and it'll attach to cells it would not otherwise even have attached to. The vaccine just doesn't quite make it right. And then the antibody will uh, or the spike protein will go in and open up the cell to this new variant to a degree that it would not have done just in the absence of the vaccine altogether. So so I just combine the thinking of like what the new variant is, what it means, um, and that it does, it's almost like a colonial mercantilism of the level of like the opium wars, it seems like to me. And maybe in the metaverse, you Colonizing have the metaverse, thing. yeah. Yeah, you have that mm -hmm. same thing in the metaverse where like thinking of it as a tax, a taxing thing isn't as important as looking at like Prada NFTs as a monopoly or the embassy in there saying how they're going to be territorial, like single vendors for certain things in certain games or whatever. Yeah. And like, I, I worry cause you know, my, my uncle has, um, uh, this is a personal story, but my uncle is adopt. His wife is from South Africa and they're adopt. They're trying to bring her kids over. And this is all going on while they're like their application is pending. And so it's just like, oh, uh, it's like soul crushing. <laughs> just Yeah, they'll they'll not want to bring them in. And uh, and they, they're saying now that there's like another Delta variant coming out of the UK. Mm -hmm. And just one thing I thought was really, really interesting about this. I wrote an article about it several months ago that there were four um, variants of interest on the World Health Organization's watch list for Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta, I think. And all four of them came out of the four places where AstraZeneca did their trials. It was the UK, India. Uh, oh, I guess Delta was the Indian variant. That was the first one. And then UK, uh, Brazil, and South Africa. Now, there were some trials in Japan, but I don't think they were as intense or resumed as quickly as the other ones. So maybe Japan's going to have something like that. But there, there's definitely something like that's a really unusual coincidence i call it the astrazeneca effect so it doesn't surprise me that that's where this is coming from i still don't know i really still don't have a handle on how they literally spread it around maybe the the vaccine itself that spreads it around mm -hmm. but but it looks like another you know another intense wave of fear-mongering and tyrannical policies is around the corner well and what i do think with that rna technology like you mentioned a moment ago monica i I think that that is, I think this is an experiment where they are refining in the population their ability to reach transhumanism, to perfect that, to merge with the, the bots. I, if you have millions of people, you can get to take some new form of technology. I think that that's where you're going to test it on. And I think billions. This, uh, yeah, billions. Yeah, exactly. yeah, it's a phase five trial for sure. They admit that. But what it is they're, they're measuring. Is yet to be yeah, seen. Yeah, who knows? Probably a lot of things. Well, to me, it seems like I, I just I try and think about the end game, and maybe this is something that's so complicated that it's like there's not just one single end game. But I've entertained like the the depopulation agenda. I've entertained this whole like healthcare by subscription. It's just about profit narrative, or but there's this other narrative about like I don't know gene editing or something to be able to literally control the thoughts of people. And I don't think that's too far off. And uh, just as an aside, like I've been thinking about 
it's so cliche to talk about 1984, but I did a piece on Victor Klemper's diaries. He's he's a, a Jew that lived through the 1930s and 40s in Germany and wrote a bunch of I have his works right here. Um, he wrote a bunch of his a big diary just documenting everything. And the thing that strikes me is that the greatest rebellion is to be free. The last bastion of freedom is in your own head. And if they can take that away from us. I, there was a quote, a Heinlein quote I used to love was that I will always be free because they will not be able to control my thoughts. But when they get into like what one of those that chick, I believe, I don't I don't know if that was an implant, but they've been for decades upon decades. They have been aware of how to control your thoughts or at least um, implant thoughts with an implant. And then I think they've moved beyond that to where they can just hone that electrical frequency, which is so weird to me because they act like you're crazy if you think 5G has an impact or that all the uh, electromagnetic frequencies around you or the radiation or whatever doesn't have an impact on you when it's so acute. They can actually target places in your brain without a receptor in there with the right electrical frequency and have an impact. I mean, clearly... I mean, we don't know what all like this being bathed in at night and day is, but uh, but apparently being targeted by it at least has enough promise for them to spend a lot of time, effort and money trying to figure it out. That was one of the concerns that they expressed when they were talking about these brain interface technologies was if you are connected with your your whole group through the uh, uh, telepathy then your brain is open for hacking. And whenever there's going to be everything digital like this, you're going to have these cyber attackers that are going after. That's, that's just going to be a thing. And they express the concern of what if somebody could get complete access to your thoughts or could manipulate your thoughts and, and just subvert whatever's going on in your head. It's kind of terrifying. Yeah. yeah. I, I wanted to address what you just said about the... Um, like cracking the code on what it's all about, the depopulation agenda and profit. And I, I agree with you. Like that's the hardest thing when I was the first thing I ask people is what's the true nature of power on earth and in the universe. I mean, is the queen a lizard? What do you think? I don't know, <laughs> but there are definitely multiple. This is their classic MO for sure. They use operations for multiple purposes. They almost rarely, it's like in your kitchen to have a single use object is a complete waste of space. You have to have something that can be used more versatilely. And I think depopulation obviously is a big thing for them and it's about control and it's not about like this earth can't sustain it. They, I think they actually use weather control to make the earth sustain less life because as I think Brzezinski said, it's easier to kill than control a million people. I just saw a movie last night. Great movie. I love it. I've seen it before. Children of Men. For some reason, yeah. I've been talking about it a lot lately. For some reason, it popped up just like The Constant Gardener, which was about um, whatever, pharma, pops up free on my Amazon Prime, which is not known to be populated with the world's best movies. Freaking some of the best movies I've ever seen are free in my face and they completely reveal the method. Um, I actually was talking to somebody about magic the other day. Like, are the elite really magical or do they just use that to control the mind? And the answer that I got from a person who's like very thoughtful and intelligent said they, they do have a thing where if they don't actually predict or reveal what they're going to do, they don't get credit for it. Right. So you have to, you have to say, I'm going to do this and then do it 
just to get credit for it. Some people say it's a revelation of the method. It's a moral thing, but that's actually quite clever. It makes it look like you have power if you can predict it. And then that brings me to the other thing that you said, is it like pure profit? And I would say that it is about the money, but it's more about not only about them getting all the money and I'm talking about, we can talk about who's them, but let's say who did event to a one world economic forum, Bill and Melinda Gates and Johns Hopkins. And you can look up and who controls them. And then the CDC of China was there with the CDC of the U S I mean, you can look at who's controlling these organizations, but they're clearly in on it and part uh, and corporations are in it, governments, everything. So up there at the top, they want the money and power to be there so they can control it. They also absolutely have to have it not with us, lest we become Ron Paul and take like our little, you know, little nest egg and go to Washington and try to change something without continuing to pursue material. They have to make sure that you work until you're exhausted and then just don't have any, any freedom there. They also like to make sure that we pay for our own enslavement. Like Google, there was a whistleblower or whatever limited hangout in courts who said Google was created by the NSA because they wanted to do the surveillance, but they didn't have the budget for it. So they made it a commercial project product with the search engine, whatever. And it, and it had the benefit of getting your deepest psychological insights. And then there's also the psychological element of their wealth and power and uh, you know, seems like omnipotence in getting all that money and having it all. So it's not just that they have the money and they use it to control, but I think maybe that also has that kind of magical impact on you that you're intimidated by it and that it makes them look like kings to you. And people do put that on a different pedestal. Like even if you don't respect it, you are in awe of it. And I think that's why they advertise so relentlessly how rich Bezos is and Musk is and all those people are so dripping, filthy rich. You wouldn't think that would be on the cover of every single tabloid that's otherwise totally controlled message-wise. They really want you to know that these guys just, they, they are, they are, 10 of them are probably have more wealth than you know almost the rest of humanity combined. And I think that's part of that that um, psychological domination. 1984 is being recommended on Netflix right now. Hey guys, I hope that you're enjoying this episode with Monica Perez and Brad Binkley. For the mid-roll today, I just have one call to action, and that is if you want a copy of this month's giveaway, it's a farewell to Congress. It's a handbook transcript of the speech delivered by Ron Paul, his, his farewell address. It's signed by Ron Paul, and uh, you can have this if you go on iTunes, libertyweekly.net forward slash iTunes, or if you go on Podcast Addict or any other place where you can leave a good review of the podcast and leave a good review and then email me your review and you'll be entered for a chance to win this. I'll be doing the drawing this coming Sunday, so there's still a week left, but there's only two or three people who have actually gone and left reviews. So you have a good chance of winning this signed pamphlet by Ron Paul. And uh, it's really high quality, really good stuff, something that you'll be proud to have. And all you have to do is take five minutes, write a thoughtful, good review on iTunes or uh, Podcast Addict or any other place that you can uh, review the podcast. Send proof of that to me at patrick.mcfarlane at libertyweekly.net and I'll enter you in a chance to win this pamphlet. And again, there's only two or three people who have actually done this. So if you do it, you'll have a good chance of winning this. So that's the only thing for this week. I hope that you're enjoying this interview. Thanks for watching, listening. Do all those things. If you really want to help me out, 
uh, rev um, subscribe and hit the bell icon, give thumbs up, share the show, tell people about it, do all those things. Really helps me out. Thanks. It's funny you say that about that movie. <laughs> yeah. It is in, I don't know, like it, it is cliched to talk about I, at the same time, but it for a reason, there's so much in there and it's so insightful in terms of like just learning to control people's thoughts with language itself. Is there, there's this effect called lost in translation where if you're learning a diff, like I speak German a little bit, but there are certain words in German that the concept literally you can't, tra it's a unique thought to Germans and a word represents yeah. this unique thought. And if you control the word, you literally control thoughts. So, and they manipulate language at will. I mean, that's one of their main tactics is to just co-opt language and manipulate it. That's very interesting though, in that, so I like Russian literature and I like this translator, Constance Garnett, and she's widely criticized for being just, she just makes it a different book because she translates it in a way an English, an English speaker can actually read it. I've been reprimanded for reading their fantastic books, but then I read, I tried to read Dr. Zhivago, which was not translated like that. And it was incomprehensible to me. I mean, it was in English, yeah, yeah. but it was incomprehensible to me. And I imagine it, that's bad when it comes to German to English and English is riddled with German roots. But think about like Chinese or Japanese, like think about how, or, or Arabic, think about the difference that would make. And then also when you um, observe how they obviously manipulate the incorporation of different, of people from different cultures into each and every country. It's they, they like swap them around and uh, in order to cause strife, I think. And, and actually I always thought culturally, but I didn't even think about linguistically. Like you may, you may, once you translate something from one language to your language, it probably takes on the meaning that is embedded in your head rather than, than what it's meant to. And that in itself can change expectations and understandings and create conflicts. I never even thought of that. Yeah, I had heard that when people are learning a new language, and maybe you have some experience with this, that they start to dream in different languages sometimes. Yeah, yeah I've done that. I did that the other week. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, when you spend time enough time in a foreign country, you do start to have those. So, sometimes it'll be like when you have the dream and you you know that you're speaking German, but you you can't place exactly what words you're saying in the dream. Uh, but it's 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 a strange thing. Yeah, yeah it's really it's kind of cool. <laughs> but yeah. can you incorporate once you start thinking in a different language? Can you incorporate those deeper meanings, or is it really lost? I I think it's lost because I think the the deeper meanings of the words are a product of the culture growing up and in, in being immersed in that experience. I think it is. Is having having that conception? Yeah, yeah they say that. Um, <laughs> they say. Oh, this I, dog. I'm I'm gonna have to change my camera battery, so this is a good time to do it. Actually. Okay, let's take a pause. I really need to get an AC adapter for the camera. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. There we go. I lost my train of thought. Samson. We were talking about language, the deeper oh, yes. meaning okay. versus yeah. the surface. Yeah. Meaning. So perhaps it's like music. They say that you have or comfort food, that you have music that you listen to at some exact point in your life. I think it's like adolescence that will always have a certain 
it will impart to you a feeling like the smell of your mother's cooking. It will impart to you a feeling that taps into that developmental moment for you. And there is absolutely no way to replicate that or replace it. It's like, let's go Brandon in a sense. That means one thing to somebody who knows who's never heard of Joe Biden or doesn't know anything about that. But now it means something different to people who are familiar with the meme. And then furthermore, it would evoke a feeling of that moment in that stadium or, yeah. you know, that that's the thing that it, it actually connects with feelings. And that's where the metaverse is going to completely take control for people who fully immerse themselves in it because they can give you experiences that seem like they're real, that reach you on an emotional level that reach your lizard brain and just kind of subvert all thinking. I was talking to Monica the other day about what's a, a news experience going to be like in the metaverse. Could be a variety of things. Maybe you can sit down one-on-one -on -one at a coffee shop and Don Lemon can just give you the news personally, whatever his view of it is. Or maybe you get to actually go experience the news event itself. So we're watching the Kenosha trial yeah. instead of actually seeing the trial. If you're in the metaverse, perhaps you get to go relive what happened, or at least what whoever constructed that portion of the metaverse happened, they will be in control of that deep emotional experience that you take away. And I wouldn't be surprised if in an immersive experience like that, they can do little things, use that little bit of music that they know about you, or if they ever conquer the smell taste barrier, um, use that little bit of odor that makes Kyle Rittenhouse seem credible either seem authentic or seem not guilty and do it or guilty, do it differently for different people. Yeah. And, but one thing about the, the power of language, the, um, to, to, I'm going to say to create culture, to reinforce culture, to shape culture at the root of culture. It reminds me of a, one more thought I had about your video. Why can't Johnny kill? And it was like throughout, your documentary, it said, I mean, it's short, but it was a documentary and, um, that it, they're trying to crack that code about Johnny and, and they're having a really hard time with it. And I, I still had the thought, although I wasn't convinced, I'm not convinced I'm right about this, but I still had the thought that maybe that aversion to killing is a necessary social construct in this way that, they, Big T, they simply must have uh, the rank and file, vast majority of people, I mean, three or four billion people belong to like the three major religions. They have to have most people belong to some kind of religion because that or whatever to have some strict morality because they rely on that for their own safety and to execute their plan. So like COVID, billions of people are uh, cooperating with lockdowns, masks, social distancing, and vaccinations. And I have heard of, I mean, maybe you guys have thought of it, but I haven't heard of too many violent incidents where the military has been used to enforce lockdowns. Maybe Australia has put down some protests, but they're not actually, I mean, you just don't, so let's just take this country alone. It's all voluntary. Like they're telling us, but it's just about all voluntary. Even the people I know who've resisted it, restaurants who've stayed open. I really haven't heard of them being beaten to death or anything by the government. So you, they need you. And, and this whole COVID thing has become a morality. So like my kids 
are embarrassed if I stand too close to somebody online because that's their etiquette now. It's moral. Face coverings are moral requirement, all that kind of stuff. So they have to have this morality in society. And then they need Johnny to bust out of that. Whereas there were warrior societies. There are examples of societies where they're raised to kill. And then I don't think they have that problem. Maybe American Indians or Greeks, Spartans or whatever have had um, subsets of societies that that are successful in in making a different kind of human. I could be wrong about that. I hope I'm wrong well, about that. My, my it's possible. My research is, is that this problem about killing has existed for millennia and that they've found evidence of it. Uh, the Romans have found evidence of it. This, uh, the Greeks and in that uh, Native Americans, a lot of it would be choreographed in, in that it actually wouldn't be very dangerous because it's very innately biological. And Grossman talks about this that it's a biological functions. If you see if you see two elk that are going at it, they're fighting, there's always a point where one of them yields before the killing blow. And I think that it's it's a preserve the species type of thing. And uh, I think it's innate like that. That's, that's a little bit of a, a whole new avenue of thought for me. And mm -hmm. I'm really curious if you have any resources to look into, like that survival oh, yeah. of the species over the individual. I mean, that is totally anti-Darwinian, right? Which is fine with me because that fails on its face mathematically, there, I think. But there's I'd a love Black to know Mirror that. episode. I, I, not to ruin it for you, but it's, it's pretty oh. old, so spoiler. No, no, uh, no. If you want to plug your that. ears. All right, I'll plug my ears. <laughs> no. I've talked about this with you before, so you've heard it. It's a Black Mirror episode where these warfighters are going in to, eliminate, to exterminate what appear to be beasts and monsters. And, and they go in and they exterminate them. And then you find out that it's actually, they digitized, they had a, they had a brain plant, implant put in their head to make them see actual monsters. It was really people. So when the brain implant was taken out, they realized they had been just killing people. Yeah, yeah. This is like... Um this is like a Stargate SG-1 had an episode like this. I don't know if you guys ever watched Stargate. I'm a huge nerd, but um, it, was an it was an episode where the, the SG-1 team goes to a different planet and um, there's a war going on and they go into one side of the war and they see it from their eyes, but it's a bunch of people on computers that are piloting drones. Yeah. And through the fighting, they realize that the enemy they're killing in the CGI world, the other, they're killing people in actual they're actually in planes so it's drones killing people in planes and it, it seemed to me like kind of predictive programming it's like, like an that. ender's game type thing yeah. yeah and that's why you have these drones and these robots that can make it a little bit easier because it people aren't up front they're not they're they're from a distance so you don't have to look people in the eye you don't have to see them yeah yeah and well but before we get too late here i wanted to touch on something that monica was talking about earlier about you have the three major religions in the world and I don't know if you guys have heard about Project Bluebeam is this yeah. this idea. I don't know if you've talked about it because I've heard some people talk about it. But it seems to, there's some things going on right now in uh, Jerusalem with the Temple Mount and this whole thing about rebuilding the temple. And it just makes me feel like they're going to do like they're going to fake an alien invasion or fake the second coming of Jesus. And that's going to be like the final event or something. I don't know, but. And, and it goes into Dune. I don't know if you guys have seen Dune, the new movie. I saw the original and read all the books. Oh, so you know it. this idea that the, the Kwisatz Haderach 
was something that was planted on Arrakis by the Bene Gesserit, that the entire religion was seeded there in advance, just waiting for them to pull the trigger on it. And that's so Paul going to Dune all of a sudden triggers what they already had latently planted there. It's just crazy to think about. That's, well, I, I mean, that's a brainwashing yeah. technique that the, I mean, they all use it, but it's in that, that book propaganda. He documents it in China where they have the policy ready that they want the public to choose. And then they just break the public up into these groups and they plant ideas and they get them to come up with the policy idea and promote <laughs> it that they already were going to implement. Probably. Through that back and forth. I mean, they do that all the time here with yeah, us that's, as well. Through the, that's yeah. the rule. Right. Yeah. Problem, reaction, solution. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's something huge. I don't. I go back and forth. First of all, Bingley's been bringing for the longest time, and I see it all the time too, is UFO stuff. You know, UFO chatter front and center. But I, you know, I have a hard time figuring out. You know, I, I see that it's a it's a stage play, but I think they have really good writers, and I think that it's kind of like the Bandersnatch episode yeah. where you can choose, choose different paths, and then you're going to get probably to the same outcome, but the but the paths can be wildly different. So, it, is there? And and I also did some research on how psychological operations work back in the day, and it and it they they put out some like scouting you know, a scouting op, like something like little that just reads if it's going to work at all. And then they bring out the bigger op. And then if it's unbelievable, really successful, they extend it. Edward Snowden was a classic example of this. Like I can literally identify every step in the process. And then they, they'll expand it. They'll even rewrite the backstory a little bit to make it a bigger thing. And they could do that with COVID. And and I think that they have like the original event to a one called for 18 months, but we're well into 18 months and they're about to launch like a whole nother thing. And maybe they'll feel people out. Maybe some countries will get it and some countries won't. But I do. So I so they they could go all the way with the UFO or a vision of Christ or they could pull back and give you like a Rand Paul president. You know, they could do whatever they need to do. And I, I just I think because it's dynamic for them and they have all the psych research, I don't even have the psych research and and still they can't even plan it out in advance without having like an option tree. I feel like I can't I don't know what's next. I think it's a possibility that they could do some sort of revelation. I, I think another possibility or perhaps they could do both is say it's China. I think that from we, we've seen these things about China's hypersonic weapons now that apparently the Pentagon scientists are baffled by and they don't understand the science of they don't they don't even know how they did it. Apparently it traveled five times the speed of sound and can go around the world like one nuclear rocket can shoot another nuclear rocket midair and everybody's just befuddled. And a lot of the language and the way they talk about it is the exact same way they talk about these TikTok shaped UFOs or UAPs as they call them now. We don't understand the science of it, which if that's true, if they truly don't understand the science of these UAPs and our best pilots and our fastest planes can just get left in the dust by these things, then that should be the biggest story on the planet every single day. And we should all be terrified for our lives if that stuff is true. I don't believe for a second that they don't know what those things are, at least a little bit. There is some sort of psyop going on. I've been interested in where that's going for a while now because it started in like 2017 with a New York Times article, a New York Times article, That's that was uh, my first red flag there, but they talked about how they had collected 
like the Blink 182 singer, I think is one of the guys yeah, who is yeah. in this foundation. And they had collected some material from otherworldly material, I think is the way they, they framed it. And it was just stored in a Las Vegas warehouse right now. And they don't understand the properties of it. And then he just kind of moved on from that. I'm like, wait a minute. There's otherworldly material that you don't understand the properties of just stored in a random warehouse in Las Vegas. And you, <laughs> it's all very strange. To to the Stars Academy, I think that was the yes, Tom DeLonge <laughs> and yeah. The, there's this guy named Richard Dolan who is my go-to guy when it comes yeah. to UFOs. I I dig him. He's so cool. Like I like him too. I, and and he he's uh he's on our side on the COVID issue, which I was because he's done all this stuff on false flags, and uh, I was just glad to see that because South Park came out with that post-COVID special the other day, oh, and it's did you like it? No. I, well, I hated it. I'll <laughs> never watch that, so don't worry about spoiling it. <laughs> oh, it was so bad. Yeah. All right, this is a spoiler, though. If it's going to be a spoiler, we should tell people, but what can we no, say? What's, bad. what's bad about it? I mean, it, it's just that Matt Stone and Trey Parker, they've always been free speech absolutists, and they've been mm. edgy, and they've just been, like, castrated, basically. They they think that everyone who isn't vaccinated is selfish, and there was a, yeah. there was a joke about that. But then at the other time they poke they poke fun at people who like they called mass face diapers and they poked fun at people like the hysteria and shutting everything down. So right, yeah. Well, that establishes their funny credibility. Moments, but they definitely like that was the furthest away from the line that I've ever seen them go. They were so yeah. safe in that right. special. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and so I did a review of it, and I just think it, you know, it's kind of impotent. But it sucks because yeah. I love them, but they're blue pilled. If they're like Penn and Teller, if Penn and Teller yeah. at any point were cosmopolitan libertarians. Um, right. So, yeah. Just... yeah. Penn is like the biggest advocate of everything now. Yeah, or, he is. With Teller, whichever the tall one is. Well, that just goes to show that the debunking is always just about controlling the, the uh, questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. There's no hope when you start thinking about that. So there's no hope in the mainstream. There's just not. Yeah. I, it, I mean, anybody's making any money, even Rick and Morty, like, you know, it, it's, it's hard sharp. to, it's hard to be optimistic. I, I struggle with it a lot because. Well, yeah, I, I decided it's so weird. Cause this, have you seen the stuff Archbishop Vagano comes out with? I haven't. He's at, He's an archbishop who, like, if you just do a cursory search of him, like, he gets completely slandered on in the mainstream media and makes it look like he was in on the pedophilia stuff or he's Opus Dei, which I don't even know if that would be a problem. But he's not even any of the things they say about him. And he comes out with these videos where he actually calls out the popes on not being hard enough on the guys who were accused of or even convicted of or whatever of the sexual abuse. And he's just come out recently with this um, call to action where he says, we need an alliance of countries who are not going to fall for this globalist um, COVID based takeover of our liberties and our freedom and everything. I mean, it's really, oh. I, I, I don't, I don't disagree with anything that he has to say. And I just, I feel like it's almost impossible from, I think he is for real, but it's almost impossible for me to think of anybody or anything of being for real that has come to my attention and has any any place in the world. And he was, I believe he was the U.S. ambassador or whatever they call it, to 
from the Vatican. Like he was legit and he's just not having it. And if he were the Pope, so Pope Francis, if it weren't for Pope Francis, this never would have happened. It started in Italy for a reason. They closed everything down from St. Patrick's Day to Easter. You know, you couldn't go to church. What what kind of pope doesn't let you go to church when he thinks everybody's going to die? Yeah. <laughs> Who cut, what pope cuts you off from the sacraments in the end times? I mean, that is not a good guy. And this guy calls him out constantly. But other than that, I can't think of, I just, I can't think of any anybody. I just feel like once you're at that level, you just... But that, but, oh, but my point was, then I had that hope. And I'm like, I don't really care if, uh, you know, I have intellectual doubts. Like I'm not a, like, you know, I don't put a veil on and like say the rosary and have this kind of, um, never say the rosary, have that, um, reverence and everything like that. I just kind of choose to be a practicing Catholic because it seems to make sense to me. And I don't think not God is a sufficient explanation for the existence of the world. But I started to think, like, what's the real white pill? I call it my white-pilled Christmas rather than my white Christmas. Like, the real white pill is is just saying, I think it's just passing the test of if you can be true to very simple, obvious morality. So, like, your thing of why can't Johnny kill? What you're saying is that we are that fundamental tenet of thou shalt not kill is so totally consistent with human nature, regardless of society, religion, or anything, so totally consistent that we are fundamentally moral, I would say, that we have an inherent morality that these evil overlords are trying to root out. And if you, it's a battle between that soul, let's call it, and the mind that is the only thing they can really control or try to control with their propaganda, but even that is external. And I don't know what the outcome is for humanity on earth, but I feel like if you look at it as a challenge, a personal challenge, because we're libertarians, we're individualists, and I think that comes from the fact that we know that we that all suffering and choice is individual. So we need to make those choices um, we need to have compassion for people who suffer and we have to, and because of that, we can't go along with these like mass plans that think of humanity as collective. And this is our moment to just demonstrate that we, that we inform, consult and follow our consciences because the answer is there. And I feel like we could, one could think of it as an opportunity. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think that the fact that we have choice and this is something to remember is they want to convince people that you have no choice, that you can't solve your problems. You can't do things or achieve things you want, that we must rely on big government and big corporations. But we do have a choice. And the choices, no matter how much they would try and convince us of this, are not determined by them. They are not limited to the choices they present us, A or B. There's C, D, E, F, G. There's all kind of choices. It's just a matter of realizing and seeing around those initial fixed choices that they give us or present to us. And, you know, I think, I think most people listen to your show are going to definitely not be relying on government or want to rely on government anyway. We don't, we don't have to, we, we can choose our own thing. We are in control of our thoughts and that is challenging with screens and everything. And they are trying to target our brains with these brain initiatives. But if we can separate ourselves from time to time and, work on controlling our thoughts, which is tough, but you control your thoughts, you control your life. 
yeah. friend of mine said that, not me. I'm not taking credit for that one. Well, that that's very well said. I, I think that's kind of a good bookend to this conversation. But um, it, yeah, I felt that way. I felt that it, in a sense, it's kind of a privilege to be living through this time and to bear witness to this. Um, I try to find that, you know, that positive note to it because it, it seems like it's hard to come by. Um, so a- any last thoughts? Let's see. How I believe in people. So I, I, yeah. I'm not, I'm optimistic. I'm, I'm always, I've always been an optimist. I'm cynical, but I'm optimistic and I, I believe in the human spirit. And I see that there are people that are protesting these mandates, even people who are vaccinated. They're against the mandates. They make it seem in the media because the, the media is so controlled. Like that poll we talked about, Monica, where the smallest, they're the nine political tribes in America and the smallest one, the least amount of Americans was the progressive group, yet the most politically active was that smallest group. And that is the group that controls the media. So the media makes it seem as though their kind of progressive ideas are dominating when in reality they're the smallest amount. So the majority really is silent. And I think they're becoming louder and louder. And I know people in Hollywood that I don't want to say Hollywood, but they, they, they work in Hollywood. They're pretty well-known actors and stuff that they're in the past have been Democrat, that they are very much against all of this. Now, they don't openly go around talking about it a lot, but they are very much against it. And there's a growing number of them within that community that against it. Same is true. And we see it in sports and other communities. So I think they've reached the limit or they at least are getting close to the limit of where they can push people. And I do, I think that the, media suppression of what's really going on is so blatant right now. Like the number one purpose of the mainstream media, the news, everything is so clearly to suppress truth rather than to bring it out like that. Let's go Brandon thing. Like, I don't know if people know what that was, but uh, there was a crowd chanting, fuck Joe Biden. And the reporter, no doubt, because someone whispered in her ear, said, oh, you can hear them saying, let's go, Brandon. I mean, that was just what the news does. That's like the perfect example of what the news does. And I saw a really beautiful a, a, a tweet of mine tweeted this at me, a, a really moving image, very short. This is the kind of TikTok I would live for is um, just panned a crowd as far as the eye could see with candles at night in Italy protesting mandates. It was just as far as the eye could see. And I did an interview with the great Massimo Matsuko a while back, and he said, the number one thing you can do, you must, must check out foreign news. Because even if it is, he didn't say this part, but for me, even if it is propaganda, there are, and even if I do think that most of the elected officials of the world who are surviving are in, are cooperative with the banking cabals and whatever, there are conflicting interests. So the propaganda that they're pushing onto their own people may be different from what we hear. And if you hone your discernment, if you get your truth dar going, you can recognize um truth from fiction. And, and that's where, and I think discernment is at the heart of morality and good behavior. And, and I feel like there's hope in that. I really do. And, uh, and that's it. I do. And I just love talking to people like you and it's just impossible to keep it down. You know, it's just impossible. People absolutely, I mean, it's just a moral impetus to be truthful for most of us, I think. Yeah. And I, I think, um, 
there there's the the distinction between order and chaos there's the yin and the yang and i think in the chaos part there's opportunity and i think there's opportunity for both sides so we we can hit that opportunity but uh just for everybody where can they find your work well, you can find all of our free stuff on your favorite podcasting platform under the Propaganda Report banner. And you can find all of our, if you like an RSS feed, you can get a premium RSS feed with our daily show, 50 minutes, um, no commercial interruptions by joining Patreon. And Binkley, what else we got? You can get our deep dives and also our daily show and the exclusive DMBXR at rockfin.com slash propaganda report. And you also get the content of all of the other creators on there as well when you sign up. Including you, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah including me. So. <laughs> How fun is that? Yeah. Well, wow, that's great. So your subscribers, I hate to say this because you want to uh, build your own audience, but your subscribers can listen to all of our premium content and even get all of our videos are almost exclusively on Rockfin as well as the daily show is on live on Thursdays with video on Rockfin. Yeah. Yeah. And I've been enjoying that too. So, um, well, it, thanks so much uh, for joining me. I, I, every conversation we have is just excellent. So, uh, really appreciate it guys. Feeling mutual. Thank you.